Well, good morning, Northies. It's great to be with you again this week as we come into week three of our series on Do Not Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And so two weeks ago, Pam introduced our new series based on Louis Giglio's book, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And uh, this series is so fitting to finish off our um, our year of wholeheartedness uh, as we look at the, the, the topic of being wholehearted in 2021. We've seen in previous messages this year a strong connection between being wholehearted and the Word of God. I've spoken before about 2 Peter 1.3, where uh, Peter writes and says, His divine power has given us everything we need for godly living or to live a godly life. And uh, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. In other words, through the precious and magnificent promises, we have the capacity to become wholehearted, to become just like Jesus. Peter sums this up in a little bit later in that passage in, in 2 Peter 1 in verse 12, when he says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and listen, are firmly established in the truth that you now have. Jesus, Jesus actually picks this theme up, or he, he probably started the theme, and Peter's reiterating it later on. Jesus clearly connects the concept of God's word with a foundation. When he, he says, therefore, if you, you hear my words and you put them into practice in Matthew seven twenty four, that person will be like a man who builds his house upon a rock. And so there's this strong connection about building our lives on a foundation, and that foundation is the word of God. So it's little wonder then that the first time we see Satan, the first time we're introduced to our enemy, we find he's doing exactly what he will always do. He he came to Eve and said, has God really said? In other words, is God's word reliable? Is it, is it, can you follow it? Can you trust it? Uh, bringing into, um, into question the authority of God's word. But listen, listen to what, what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, to teach us what is true. You know, if we really want to be wholehearted, we need to know what the truth is. And so we need a, a, a non-subjective place to find truth. Because all of us will look inside ourselves and we'll say, well, you know, truth truth has got to be comfortable in the culture we're living in. Well, maybe it doesn't. Maybe the culture we're living in is is uncomfortable with the truth. And so it goes on to say it corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. You see, Satan wants us to be confused and unsure about what God has said. In Psalm 29, there's this great uh, triumphant passage where it talks about the voice of the Lord. And the psalmist writes, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Uh, God is enthroned in the heavens and all of his people cry holy or cry glory. And uh, what Satan wants is he wants us to think the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord, is unreliable. The, he wants us to think the word of the Lord is lacking in authority. And he wants to upset our ability to put our trust in it. What he really wants us to have is a divided heart. 
Uh, we've talked about that before in our series. He wants us to have a double mind, double uh, to be double-minded. Like James uh, says, uh, the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In fact, what Satan really wants to do, and Jesus nailed it, he says the thief only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. You see, Satan wants to steal your promises. He wants to kill your faith, and he wants to destroy your destiny. He wants to rob us of our power and authority that comes from the word of God. And it, and it opens the path up to fruitfulness in our lives. And so far, we find so many Christians are robbed of authority. They're robbed of power. They, they are not fruitful. Why? Because the enemy has come and sat at their table and, and brought into question the word of God, brought into question the, the tenets of faith. You know, there's, there's people today in churches that, that uh, have let go of truths that have stood the test of time for, for millennia. You know, let me give you one. We we hear a lot about racism today, and you know it's a it's a hot topic, and um, you know most of it's being used to whip up frenzy for li- political purposes. But I want you to consider something. Genesis chapter one and verse twenty six says, "Let's let us make mankind, not man, not not the man. Let us make mankind in our image." And so. We think, well, what, what kind of man was it? Was it the white man? Was it the black man? Was it the yellow man? Was it the red man? Was it this race? Was it that race? No, it was mankind. It was the whole lot. And so if we are true and faithful to God's word, that mankind is made in his image, we wouldn't be dealing with race, racism because we understand that every one of them is made in God's image. Isn't that true? And so, you know, and we could go through that one after another, naming the things out that God has set down as tenets of, of life in the world and, and even look today at, at many, many places where those things have been laid aside or those things have become polluted or warped or changed. You know, for this reason, the Lord places an import, a high importance, and especially in the scriptures and our hearts and minds. He tells us in Proverbs that as a man thinks in himself, that's what he's going to be like. He tells us again in Proverbs that we are to guard our heart above all else, for it determines the course of our life. And so we find David crying out to the Lord. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness, that I might rely on your faithfulness. Teach me your word, God. Lay your word down in my life that I would rely on the faithfulness of your word and it would be foundational for me. And then he goes on to say, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. So last week, Graham spoke on uh, two of the lies the enemy uses to confuse us and stop us from reaching our potential in Christ. And they were comparison and worthlessness. And today, I want to look at two more big lies that the enemy brings to our table to undermine our confidence in God and our faith in his word and lead us into fear and uh, hopelessness. So I'm going to take a drink. We're going to open the Bible this morning to 1 Kings. And pick up a story that we uh, we looked at just not not so long ago. Actually, I think Jess preached about it, and it's the story of Ahab and uh, and and Mount Carmel and and all of that sort of thing. So in verse twenty in First Kings chapter eighteen, we pick up the story, and Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel, and Elijah stood in front of them, 
and said, how much longer will you waver between two opinions? How much longer will you be double-minded? How much longer will you have a divided heart about whether to serve the Lord or to serve the Baals? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. And you know the story. They bring the bulls. They they do the, the thing. He gives them the opportunity for um, the, the priests of Baal to offer their sacrifice. Nothing happens. Uh, he gets a bit cheeky with them. Still nothing happens. And then he, he gets uh, his sacrifice set up. He pours, gets them to pour water all over it, so much so that the thing's saturated, the wood's saturated, and there's even a great uh, pond of water around the sacrifice, and he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord answers with fire. He, he completely consumes not only the sacrifice, but the wood and the altar and the water. Everything is gone, and God quite plainly uh, displays miraculously that he's the true God. And so Elijah puts the prophets of Baal to death. And so in verse uh, in, in chapter 19, we pick up verse 1 after this story. And Ahab went home and he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel, uh, she got pretty mad about this. And she sent a message to Elijah and said, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Now, you would think that Elijah, after just challenging the prophets of Baal, after confronting Ahab, after, you know, all of the things that he had to, after standing there, you know, not knowing, but knowing, if you know what I mean, there's faith. He knew by faith, but he didn't really know by experience that God would show up and do what he said he would do. But nevertheless, he did. And he came through. You would think that facing down Jezebel would not be an issue. But I want you. I want you to see here that 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 the enemy was coming to um, Elijah in the guise of Jezebel in this particular uh, situation. He he comes to Elijah's table and he sows a lie that threatens his very existence because verse three says Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. And this is this is the lie that uh, I want to talk about, or the first one I want to talk about today. You are alone. And it's you against the world. And uh, so Elijah, in verse 9, he comes into a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why have you run away from this woman? Why have you not trusted me? And Elijah said, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. And I am the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too. Twice Elijah now says this, I'm the only one left. But I want to take you back just one chapter to, to a man named Obadiah. Obadiah was a servant of Ahab, who was a servant, also a servant of the Lord. And Ahab had sent him to find Elijah. And uh, this is what it says at the beginning of chapter 18, the, the narration. It says, Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. Once when Jezebel had tried to king kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden 100 of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave and he supplied them 
with food and water. And then later in verse 12 of that same chapter, he confronts Elijah and he says, "Um, I have been a true servant of the Lord all my life. Has no one told you, Lord, about the time when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets? I hid 100 of them in two caves and supplied them with food and water. This was a, this is Elijah. I'm the only one left. But hang on, wait. There's a hundred other prophets that he had forgotten about. You see, Elijah had fallen into the trap of believing that he is alone against the world, and it, it, and it didn't make sense when you when you put it in the context of the story. But how often we struggle with this kind of thinking. You know, we, we're, in, we're at work, we're having some hassles, and all of a sudden the enemy slides up to our table and says, you know, they all hate you. Uh, you know, it's really you against all of these guys. They, uh, you know, it's, it's really difficult for you, I understand, because all these people hate you. And um, the truth is, most of them don't even know you work there. They're, they're just going about their lives. You know, we, we, we buy into this, this lie of, Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. And before we know it, we're eating worm sandwiches. It's, uh, it's just a, a, a trick that the devil uses all the time. You know, one of the, one of the great teachings in Giglio's book is how he, he unpacks the 23rd Psalm. And that forms the basis of the book, really. It's, it's the, the, the story of the book. And uh, he talks about an even though an I will statement. And, and we know that right in the middle of... The, of um, of the 23rd Psalm in verse 5, it says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. You guys know that story. You know that You know that passage. Giglio says that the even though I will faith is being developed in you, even though times are tough, God's rod and staff are with you. Even though times are hard, listen to it, you are not alone. And this is the thing we need to, we need to hold on to. This is why God gives us his word. He says, even though you're walking through the valley of a shadow of death, even though you're walking through this hard experience, let me give you a promise. I am with you. My rod and my staff comfort you. My rod's there to to deal with the enemy. My staff is there to keep you safe. And all he's waiting for us is to, to say, God, help me. And he can take the staff and just knock the enemy out of the park. He goes on to say, the good shepherd says, we're going through this valley and I'm going to be with you all the way through. And guess what? We're going to have a story to tell on the other side. The second the second lie that we want to look at this morning uh, as we're getting closer to close is um, there is no way out. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life, verse 3 says, and he went to Bathsheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there and he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. At this point, he's in despair and he thinks, I might as well die. There's no point in me living. You know, when... uh, when our girls were younger, when Beck and Rach um, were younger, they used to watch Anne of Green Gables, um, a, a really famous kind of little girl story. And there's a there's a scene in where where Anne first meets the the woman that would adopt her, Marilla, and um, Marilla says to her, "You're not eating anything," said Marilla sharply, eyeing her as if it was a serious shortcoming. Anne sighed and in her dramatic way said, I can't, I'm in the depths of despair. Can you eat when you're in the depths of despair? Marilla says, I've never been in the depths of despair, so I can't say. 
Can't you even imagine what the depths of despair is like? Marilla said, no, I cannot. To despair is to turn your back on God. To despair is to turn your back on God. It's to declare that you are without hope as if the Father had never promised us anything. Ephesians 2.12 speaks about this. It says, in the former days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. And listen, you did not know the covenant promises that God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But he goes on and says, but now, I love Paul's but statements. You have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And therefore we can say, like all believers, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That's the game changer. God, you have my back. No matter what happens to me, no matter what, no matter what I come up against, you and your word can hold me strong and you are guarding my back. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, we are people who have hope. So let's guard our hearts. Let's uh, do not listen to the enemy when he tries to sidle up to our table. That's why Paul writes in, a, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what, God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And now listen to this. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The enemy won't be able to sidle up to the table and bring an accusation against God's word because we will have the peace and we will know exactly what's going on. So I've got just a couple of questions for you today. Number one, have you allowed the enemy to sit down at your table? You know, it's uh, it happens quickly. Giglio says in his book, he tells the story of a man, uh, he was out having dinner with his wife for her anniversary, their anniversary. And this man sort of sidles up to the table, recognises him. And before he knew it, the guy had pulled up a chair and had joined him at the table and was uh, engaging in a, in a conversation that wasn't bad, but it wasn't one that Louis and his wife planned to engage in on that particular time. But he said, what he said he noticed was it happened so quickly. And it's true about the enemy. He comes in and like Elijah, he comes when we're vulnerable. He comes when we're tired. He comes when we're... Um, we're having that letdown after a great triumph and he just sows a doubt about God's word. Second question, have you allowed him to sow doubt in your mind and heart about the reliability and power of God's word? What do you think about the word of God today? Are you are you confident in it? Or do you not not put much, you know, it's it's unfashionable today. It's uh it's not really suitable for our culture. Well, we're not called to our culture. We're called to Christ. Is he right now stealing your promises, killing your faith and destroying your destiny and robbing you of joy and 
fruitfulness? That's the question we need to ask. Because he will come and try and make and isolate us and make, we, make us feel like we're alone against the world. But the interesting thing is that after, after God corrected Elijah in that passage, he said, oh, and Elijah, by the way, I have 700 who have not bowed their knees to Baal or kissed him with their mouth. I have 700. You say you're alone. You forgot about the 100. I've got another 700 that you don't even know about. He's reliable. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you that uh, you give us power over the enemy. Lord Jesus, we, we honor you today because the word says that for this purpose, the Son of God was made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the evil one. And God, we ask today that for our congregation, as we sit and listen to the words today, as we've opened up the scriptures, as we've considered these questions, Lord Jesus, that you would come with your rod and your staff. Lord, you would, you would draw us back onto the path of faithfulness and wholeheartedness. Lord, you would come and change our minds. Lord, you tell us in Romans to allow our life to be turned around by having our minds renewed. Lord, we ask that you would come and wash our minds today with the, with the water of your word as you promise. And that we might uh, draw near to you, Lord Jesus Christ, and draw near to you, Father, and to, and to put our trust in you. That, uh, that the promises that you give us might be effective in our lives today and going forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I pray you have a great day today. Amen.